5, and it says, All the congregations of the people of Israel moved from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you should with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Harab, and you, will, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Um, this text begins with suffering. This text starts with trials. It starts with test. But what interests me about this as I read it is seeing how the hardship came because they followed God. And so this brings me to my first point. God's glory is displayed in hardship. God's glory is displayed in hardship. Verse 1, it says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. And so this text tells us that the Israelites did not choose to camp out in Rephidim. They were led there by the Lord. Rephidim was a, it was a dry place with no water. It was a place of suffering all because they follow God and all because God planned this for his glory. So this teaches us that God is not surprised. God is not shocked at the suffering of this world. God allows and sometimes even ordains trials and tests for his glory. So the hardship that we face, it gives us an opportunity to see the hand of God at work in our lives. God's glory is displayed in hardship. First Peter 4:19 it says therefore let us or therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Proverbs 3:5 through 7 it says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There's a key word in both of those verses that I want to spend time focusing on, and that is the word trust. The word trust. Peter tells us to entrust our souls. Proverbs tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. And as believers, we must remember that this word trust is not a word of complete understanding. It's a word of surrender and submission. Just the other day, I was... Uh, we. We're out with the family, having a family walk at the park, and our one-year-old Gabriella decided that she didn't need us to carry her, and she wanted to walk down this brick road with us all by herself, and she's walking with confidence because 
We're not holding her hand. But after a while, we reached a certain point in the road where I jumped in front of her, stopping her from moving forward. And, you know, she tries to walk around. She tried to crawl between my legs, but I wouldn't let her get past me. And in her mind, I am getting in her way. I am blocking her progress. I'm holding her back from getting to where she needs to be. And so right now, I'm the bad guy. Eventually, she screams and she yells. She pressed her hands against my legs, trying to push me out the way. But I wouldn't let her move forward. And she eventually, she walks away with her lips poked out. She's angry at me or she's angry at her mother. And... um. But what Gabriella didn't understand was that behind me, the road had ended up being covered by sharp rocks that she didn't have the strength to walk on. She didn't understand that there was harm on the other side of me. Gabriella's little legs couldn't handle walking on those rocks. And so the crazy thing is, even if I would have explained that to her, mind you, she is one, she would not understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. And so it wouldn't have worked that well because she couldn't understand what I'm saying. And so it's interesting, you know, we as human beings, we have finite wisdom, we have finite knowledge and understanding, but we serve a God with eternal attributes, an infinite God with infinite wisdom and knowledge. And, you know, God always revealed his entire plan to us. I don't think our human brains could take it. I don't think our minds could handle the entire plan of God revealed to us. And so that's why it's important for us to trust because it's a word of submission and surrender. It's not a word of complete understanding. Instead of trying to understand God, the Bible just challenges us and encourages us to trust in who God is. In challenging seasons, we must remember that God's glory and God's plan can be revealed even in our hardship. Hardship, it gives us an opportunity to mature in our faith. You know, some of us wouldn't trust God or even love God the way we do if we haven't experienced hardship. Some of us experience hardship and it increased our faith and it increased our humility. Some of us have experienced God in ways that the human mind can't grasp. We experience hardship that we couldn't even grasp, but it matured our faith. And so while you're facing challenging seasons, we should ask God, what do you want to do in my life right now? What are you trying to teach me in this trial? He is trying to teach you, is he, and that's my question, is he trying to teach you to forgive? Is he trying to teach you to pray, to increase your prayer life? Is he trying to teach you the importance of community? God uses our trials to ultimately teach us to depend on him. His glory is displayed in hardship. My second point, grumbling is rooted in unbelief. Verses 2 and 5, it says, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why, do you, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord and said, what shall I do with the people? They're almost ready to stone me. Everything that I just mentioned in the first point about trusting God, trusting his plan, is the exact opposite of what Israel did 
when they handle their trial. When they entered their season of hardship, the first thing they did was they complained. And mind you, this is the same group of people, the same nation that were delivered from the bondage of Egyptian slave masters. These are the same people that saw God part the sea so they could walk through on dry land. And you would think that after these experiences, they would have an increase in faith or an increase in their trust in God. However, I believe that the unbelief comes from paying more attention to God's ability than his identity. We often have a tendency to separate the two when they actually go hand in hand. And so they saw how God could do things for them, but they couldn't see how his ability reflects who he is. You know, someone I believe who's focusing only on God's ability would say something like, you know, here we go again. We're stuck in the wilderness. We're stuck in the desert. We're thirsty. Here we go again. We're tired. We're worn out just like we were in Egypt. If God really cared, he would give us water. If he really cared, he would do this for us. But someone who focuses on who God is and more of what the, and more of what or they focus more on who God is rather than what he does, then they would look at this by saying even though we're getting thirsty, God will provide because he is a provider. Make sense? I encourage you in your challenges, in your challenging seasons to focus not only on what God can do, but recognize that his ability is a reflection of who he is. While you're facing your hardship, how do you see God? Is he simply the man upstairs? Or is he your father in heaven whose name is holy? Is, is he a force of good energy? Or is he your refuge and righteousness? Is, is he a higher power? Or is he your light and salvation, the strength of your life? Is he a genie or a fairy godfather who grants your wishes? Or is he your shepherd that you shall not want? I encourage you to focus on who God is. And there's nothing wrong with focusing on God's ability, but we shouldn't separate the two because they work hand in hand. His identity and his ability work hand in hand. And so when we grumble and when we complain, we are revealing our lack of belief in who God is. My next point, trusting God comes with challenges. Trusting God comes with challenges. And as true as this statement is from the perspective of the congregation of Israel, I want to point out the perspective of the leader, Moses. Moses received the call to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and face challenges, not only from the Pharaoh, but even his own congregation. He was criticized. In this text, he experienced criticism from his own congregation. And so in this room, we have pastors, we have elders, we have deacons, we have administration, we have small group leaders, we have ministry leaders, and God has called all of us as leaders to lead his people. But the crazy thing is, no matter what you do, no matter how well you do, someone will always find something wrong. Some, some people will find anything Wrong. Some people will say you're not doing something right, you know, and the crazy thing is they may not have any experience in the area that you're leading in. And, you know, this isn't just applied in church, but we may have managers here. We may have moms and dads here. We have spouses here. 
that are trying to lead your families well. I've always learned that the road looks different from the eyes of the passenger. It's until you get in the driver's seat that you understand the weight of the one that's leading. All leaders, you know, sometimes we want to respond ungodly. Sometimes we want to respond in our flesh and let them know you need to keep your mouth shut. Anybody ever feel like that? All the time somebody said, oh boy, I don't want to start anything. But, 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 but. But Moses, what I love about what he did, you know, he followed the God of the universe. He followed God's plan, and it still led to criticism. But what I love about Moses, the Bible says that he took his burdens to the Lord. Verse 4, it says, so Moses cried out to the Lord, and he said, what shall I do with these people? Because they're almost ready to stone me. Moses depended on the strength of the Lord when he faced hardship. If anyone needs to lean on God, it's those in leadership. God is our strength. Trusting God comes with challenges, but Moses took his burdens to the Lord. And so we don't, we don't just um, do ministry here at the church, but again, we have managers here. This is not just applied in the church, but how are you handling you're the people that work under you at your job. How are you handling the hardship at home when your children are acting out? How are you handling your, your home life when it seems like the whole family just doesn't get what's going on? We take our burdens to the Lord. God has called us to lead well, but it's only through his strength that we can lead successfully. He took his burdens to the Lord. My last point, I told you I wouldn't be long. God will save us from hardship. Exodus 17, verses 5 through 6, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the leaders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And so when the people were parched, God saved them. You know, if they never received water, they may have died from thirst, but God saved them. Moses was told to struck, strike the rock, and water would come out, and their thirst would be quenched. And so the reason why they were saved is because the rock was struck. God is a holy God. He's righteous. He made us in his image. He made us in his likeness. But out of our arrogance, we rebelled against God trying to live life on our own terms. Our rebellion brought sin into the world, separating us from a sinless God, putting us in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath. And for centuries from the day we rebelled, Man has been longing for his thirst to be quenched. We've been thirsty, longing for spiritual water to quench our spiritual thirst. 
And we, in our human wisdom, we tried to come up with so many things, so many worldly things to soothe our flesh. We came up with drugs, and we came up with money, and we came up with entertainment, but none of those things could quench our thirst of our spirit. We didn't receive spiritual water. We would die eternally. But God loved us so much that he sent us a rock. Jesus, the Son of God, is the rock who came to this world and lived a sinless life that we couldn't live. And this is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, For I do not want to be unaware. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that flowed that followed them and the rock was Christ Jesus lived a sinless life being tempted to retaliate against those who criticized and ridiculed him for how he taught and how he carried himself he, he was talked about for how he did ministry but he remained humble by taking his burdens to the father Jesus the rock lived a sinless life, and because his life was so sinless, he was struck. But, but this time, it wasn't by Moses, but this time it was by the Father. The rock in Exodus 17 was a foreshadow of Jesus, the rock who would be struck for our sin. Jesus took the penalty of our sin on the cross. He was beaten and he was bruised. He was ripped and he was torn. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was struck by dying on the cross for our sins. When Moses struck the rock, water flowed to quench the thirst of the people. And in the same way, after Jesus died, he'd take his last breath on the cross he was pierced by his, in his side by the soldier. And John tells us this in John 19, 34. It says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. After Jesus was taken down from the cross, he was buried. But three days later, Jesus bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. Only when your faith is in Christ, will you receive living water that will quench your spiritual thirst? Jesus says in John 4, verses 13 through 14, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's talking to someone who wanted to offer him natural water. But he says, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to everlasting life. My closing questions are what are you depending on to quench your thirst? What worldly possessions are you seeking after, hoping to 
quench your spiritual thirst? How dependent are you on God? How often are you taking your burdens to the Lord when you experience hardship? Or are you ready to retaliate? Are you ready to operate in your flesh? Only Jesus can provide living water because living water is who he is. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. You are the living water. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. We thank you that he is the rock. We thank you for his sinless life. We thank you that he was struck so that our thirst could be quenched. We thank you that when we drink the water that Jesus gives, we'll never thirst again. And so our prayer, Lord, is as we're going throughout this week, we know we'll experience hardship. David said we would. He never said if we go through the valley of the shadow of death, but he said though. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't fear because you're with us. And so our prayer is that we would depend on you this week. We would lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which ultimately reminds us that David said, though we go walk through the valley, which means we won't be in the valley of the shadow of death always. We got to make it out sometime. And we thank you that those who are in Christ will make it out to fellowship with him forever in eternity. And so, Lord, we pray that our anticipation of your return, our anticipation to fellowship with the rock of ages would be imminent in our lives every day this week and for the rest of our lives. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for what you're doing and what you're getting ready to do. In Jesus' name.